Hello and welcome to Bite Size History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, we're going to be taking a little break from the basics of World War II because there's a subject I wanted to tackle before we moved any further. In the previous episode, we talked about the Blitz and the uh, Sitzkrieg, the Phony War, and then eventually the Blitzkrieg in the West. And I mentioned what had happened to Great Britain and stuff like that, and I touched on the fall of France. So today, I wanted to tackle the question, why did France fall so quickly? These days, uh, especially for British and Americans, it's easy to make jokes and to laugh about uh, the French army and and why the French surrendered so quickly and, and stuff like that. But... The real story is more complicated than that, and uh, that's what I wanted to tackle today. I'm not going to be doing a beat-by-beat kind of um, story of what happened, um, i.e. like, the Germans moved to this town, and then they punched through here, and then they fought this division. No, I wanted to look at the larger issues as to why this foremost military power at the time uh, fell so quickly to the Germans. So that's it today on Bite-Sized History, The Fall of France. Let's kick things off with an article called Why Was France Defeated in 1940? from dailyhistory.org, written by the admin team E. Whelan and Eric Lambrecht, last updated January 18th, 2019 wanted to read a quote that will set the stage. Quote, The fall of France in 1940 was sudden and shocking. French leaders believed that they had prepared for a potential war with Germany and were well prepared. Tragically, they were not. Within months of the German invasion, France collapsed. Why did France surrender so quickly? Da-da-da, it goes on a little bit. The French army was, in theory, as strong as Germany's. It had a vast empire and a sophisticated arms industry. It also had established a series of fortification along the country's eastern border with Germany, known as the Maginot Line. The line was designed to keep German forces out of France. Initially, France and Great Britain appeared to be a match for Germany, end quote. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Maginot Line, an extensive, expensive, advanced line of defensive fortifications along France's mutual border with Germany that had been constructed in the aftermath of World War I to ensure that something like that never happened again. You see, on the Western Front, when World War I started, the Germans waded into France all over the place. So they wanted to have this huge line of fortifications so that this could never happen again. But if you know your history, you know that the Germans went through the heavily wooded Ardennes region to plunge into France and through Belgium. The Maginot Line was a reflection of kind of the scarring of the French people in World War I. I think a lot of outside uh, observers uh, tend to forget that the majority of Allied casualties on the Western Front in World War I were actually French, more so than the British or the Belgians, which were the two other powers that contributed significant numbers of troops on the Western Front during the Great War. This was... Um, This was still something that haunted the French in 1940. They had lost a whole generation of men. Um, So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Maginot Line. And, you know, some people have said the Maginot Line was a waste of money because um, the Germans came in and conquered them anyway. But, you know, if you really look at it practically, the Maginot Line did what it was supposed to do. Um, It stopped the Germans from invading 
along the French uh, German border. They had to find another way in. So if you look at it that way, the Maginot Line was actually successful. Before we tackle the next issue that undermined the French war effort, a little bit more background from this article from dailyhistory.org. The Battle of France started on the invasion on May 10th, 1940, and only lasted 46 days. Uh, And to get an idea of kind of the price of this uh, conflict, quote, The German army suffered 157,000 casualties during the invasion of France, but the Allies' losses were considerably worse. The Allies lost over twice as many men and had overall uh, 360,000 casualties. A further 2 million men were captured. Some 300,000 British and French troops escaped the Germans after being evacuated by naval forces at Dunkirk. The Germans occupied the majority of France. In the south of France, the Vichy regime established a semi-autonomous political entity. Vichy maintained control over the majority of the French colonies, end quote. So that's kind of like I wanted to bring to, for- to the, the foreground kind of the extent of casualties. Now, when you look at things later, like the invasion of the Soviet Union, these are actually pretty small numbers. But it wasn't like the Germans came in, killed 10 guys, and then the whole thing was over. Like, it's, it's actually a little more extensive. Like, the French took out more people than I think is generally accepted. And I was listening to a World War II podcast the other day. It's uh, one of my sources. Um, they said that, uh, critically, uh, 800 German air crews were actually put out of action or killed during the invasion of France. And one can only wonder what had what would have happened if they had had those additional air crews for the Battle of Britain? Because the Battle of Britain was just so close, like so close. Britain was so close to collapsing. So that's kind of what I wanted to say about that. Let's talk about politics, too. You see, when the Germans invaded, they were more or less uh, united under the Fuhrer. I mean, any opposition to Hitler had been crushed, imprisoned, disappeared over the past several years. Uh, But with France, the situation was different. Again, from this article, quote, France was bitterly divided between the left and the right. This lack of unity in France was crippling at a crucial juncture in the war. The division also extended to the relationship between the military and political leadership of France. The French generals were right-wing and distrusted the left-wing politicians who ran France. French ministers also did not trust the judgment of their generals. The French officer corps was more worried about a communist revolution than a German invasion." End quote. So that's kind of like explains some of the political divisions. France was extremely political politically divided during this period, uh, you know, coming just out of the Great Depression, stuff like that. It's interesting that uh, there was one French um, officer that said in 1942 that uh, France had no Churchill. And he said, if France had a leader of the caliber of Clemenceau in 1940, perhaps the outcome of the Battle of France could have been different. Now, that's interesting, end quote. That's interesting, too, because it, it means that, like, at this critical moment, Uh, France didn't have like this hero that stepped up and stood up to the Germans the way that, uh, let's say, Pétain did in World War I, or uh, Clemenceau, or any of those guys, or Foch, or Joffre. 
like any of those guys from the First World War. They just didn't have that, and they were they were busy fighting each other. And another thing I came across was that when the invasion was happening, there was a, a group of officers in the high leadership of the military, the French military, that were already planning for what they were going to do to collaborate with the Germans. Um, they were basically, they had gotten it in their heads that the war was lost and the best thing to do now was to make a deal. And a lot of these guys became prominent officials later on in Vichy, France, which was like the Axis puppet that took over the Axis puppet government that took over southern France and the majority of the French colonies, as we've seen. Um, it says, quote, people on both the extreme left, such as the communists or the extreme right, hated the French government so virulently their support of the French government could be best described as half-hearted after the German invasion, end quote. So the French government at this time was kind of like politically in the middle and they were they were stuck. Like they didn't have the confidence of the extremists on the left or the extremists on the right. So it was very hard to mobilize support to defend the country. Now, next up is I found a really cool article from France 24. They're a French news network where there's a reporter who's talking with a uh, French historian about what happens. That's coming up next. This is an article called Why Did France Lose to Germany in 1940? And it's from the 16th of May, 2020. And it was originally translated from French and written by a reporter called Stéphanie Trouillard. And she interviewed uh, a professor from Saint Cyr, which is basically this military academy in France. Uh, sometimes it's described as the French West Point if that helps put things in perspective for American audiences. She started with this question. The speed with which France crumbled and capitulated in the face of the May 1940 German invasion is still shocking, 80 years on. How did this catastrophe happen? After several months of phony war, the German army finally attacked France and the Low Countries on May 10, 1940. In less than a fortnight, the Wehrmacht swept through the country from the north. The French army was one of the most powerful in the world, but it seems that it was unable to hold out, leading to France's great debacle of the 20th century, when on June 22, 1940, Marshal Philippe Pétain's government signed the armistice with Nazi Germany and started the ignominious story of French collaboration. How did this happen, and why so quickly? France 24 spoke to historian Michel Bourlet, a former professor of history at the Saint-Cyr Military Academy, who deconstructed some of the myths about the egregious failure of the Battle of France. So the first question is as follows. There's a common perception that the French army was badly prepared for the German attack. Is it reflective of reality? And uh, this is his answer, quote, The French army of 1939-40 is strongly associated with the inglorious phony war, then the military defeat in May-June 1940, followed by a collapse of its politics into collaboration in June 1940. This is still remembered as a huge defeat in the French collective memory. The idea that the army was badly prepared, poorly motivated, and ill-equipped against the invincible Wehrmacht is still a myth constructed by Pétain's Vichy regime. Unfortunately, it's still used today because it makes a good excuse. It's so much easier to admit defeat if you say you had a weak army facing a much stronger one. 
The French army had the equipment and personnel, 5 million men, more than they did in 1914, to really take the Germans on. Defense spending had been rising since the mid-1930s, making it possible to bolster the Air Force, to build a powerful naval fleet, ensure a well-equipped army, and to build the Maginot Line, a fortified boundary on France's eastern borders. So, the High Command was far from inactive before the war. They had these resources, and they created a strategy to use them. Small offensives with defined objectives, continuous fronts, and the use of firepower to cut off the enemy's movements. The next question. Both in France and internationally, the French army of 1914 is seen as lacking courage. Do you think this image is accurate? The answer. Quote. It's true that some commanders didn't know how to react in the face of the German onslaught, and that some units, after the inactivity of the phony war, panicked or disbanded. But for the most part, French soldiers fought with courage and tenacity. Statistics show just how brutal the fighting was. About 60,000 French soldiers were killed between May and June. The German military lost 30% of its tanks and planes during the Battle of France. Its death toll is estimated at 27,000 killed and missing in June and 21,000 in May, end quote. So that's actually, like, when I read that, I was actually pretty surprised. Um, that's way more. Like, 60,000 French soldiers killed, not casualties, killed in a month. Uh, and the Germans lost a third of all of their tanks and planes. So coming up next, we're going to be talking about whether the French army still had any successes during this campaign. Continuing this article from France 24, reporter Stephanie Triard asked the question, did the French army still have some success? And a Monsieur Boulet from the Saint-Cyr Military Academy responded as follows, quote, well, as always, it was a multifaceted military campaign, and the degree of success was dependent on the terrain, the quality of leadership, the quality of the weaponry they had, etc. There were some successful episodes, such as the defeat of the Italian army on the Alpine Front in June 1940. Taking a break here. Bet you didn't know that. That's right. Well, while the Germans were invaded, the Italians invaded from the south, taking advantage of the situation, but they were beaten back by the French army. Anyway, continuing. Quote, And although you couldn't really describe them as successful, this is not against the Italians, this is against the Germans, in some battles, the French gave the Germans a hard time. For instance, in Stone in the Ardennes from May uh, 15th to 27th, they tried to put pressure on the flank of the German offensive after the Wehrmacht's famous breakthrough at Sedan. The village was taken and taken back at least 17 times, but the French failed to break through. Nevertheless, they inflicted significant damage on the Germans. I'm also thinking of some fights in the Battle of the Scheldt in Belgium. French infantrymen prevented the Germans from crossing the Scheldt Canal between May 21st and May 26th, thereby delaying the Wehrmacht's advance north. The six infantry divisions of the French First Army provide another good example. They were encircled by the Germans in the Lille area, but carried on fighting until June 1st, thus facilitating the British Expeditionary Forces' famous evacuation from Dunkirk, end quote. So you see, it wasn't a complete route, and in fact, there were units of the French army that provided a, an extremely valuable rearguard action to ensure that these British uh, soldiers could actually make it back to their homeland. 
And finally, the last question, I know there's a lot of reading in this episode, but bear with me. The last question is, so why did the French lose so quickly? And the answer, quote, the Germans took risks during the Battle of France. They concentrated their tanks in the Ardennes on difficult terrain between the Maginot Line and the main body of the French army in the north. Then they smashed through the Ardennes while the French army had gone north to fight the Wehrmacht divisions that had gone through Belgium. So they encircled the Allied forces, penning them in towards the English Channel before heading south towards Paris. That was when the French army collapsed. Since 1945, a million and one explanations have been put forward to explain the French defeat, from the nature of the bridges over the River Meuse, to the political institutions of the Third Republic, to the Maginot Line, which has recently been used as an analogy that supposedly explains France's difficulties in the face of the coronavirus, which is super interesting because this article is from 2020. As we have seen, the French army had plenty of men and lots of good equipment and arms. Its morale was good, despite being a bit deflated by the phony war. The reasons for its defeat were intellectual and doctrinal. It's the old cliché of fighting the previous war. Commanders were too focused on lessons from the First World War. They couldn't think about the actual war they had to wage in the present, and uh, they were unable to adapt. The Germans, by contrast, took risks." End quote. So isn't that interesting that uh, according to this uh, scholar Borlay from St. Cyr, which again is a military academy, uh, he's talking about how the French were too defensive and too conservative uh, and just weren't willing to take risks in a new style of warfare in the way that the Germans were. So coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about the fall of France. So you see the conclusion of this France 24 article is actually kind of a rebuttal to the original article Daily History that I opened the episode with. In fact, in the closing paragraphs of the Daily History article, so that's the first article I mentioned, they say the following, uh, quote, the reasons for the sudden defeat of France in 1940 were numerous and varied. They included a failure of leadership, both at the military and political level. The army of France was not only poorly led, but had been equipped with inferior arms and equipment. And then they talk about uh, the Maginot Line and stuff like that. So, end quote. Uh, so you see, there are people that still stick to this, like, idea that uh, the French army was extremely uh, demoralized and they had uh, garbage equipment and, and they just didn't have enough men and stuff like that. But when I did a bit of digging, I, I think that what happened is that there was, yes, a failure of leadership. The leadership could not be united. They couldn't work together, uh, stuff like that. The officer corps was a little too defensive and, and conservative, like we mentioned. But I wanted to share another article before we close the episode that I found that's very interesting. It's kind of like a counterfactual history, kind of like a, a what if. This article is from the National Interest. It's a magazine. And it's written by one Robert Farley, and it's called, If France Kept Fighting, How World War II Might Have Gone Very Differently. Oh, isn't that interesting? So we're going to tackle that uh, in just a few moments of what would have happened if actually they didn't go down in, you know, a month and a half, but if they had kept fighting like in World War I. Uh, and kind of what were the achievements of the French army regardless.
Now, in this article, which again is entitled, If France Kept Fighting, How World War II Might Have Gone Very Differently, written by Robert Farley in The National Interest, September 4th, 2016. First, he talks about some of the military advantages the French had. So, he says France, quote, had extensive assets available to continue its resistance against the Axis powers. The French fleet was the most notable of these. France possessed two of the world's most modern fast battleships, numerous powerful cruisers and destroyers, and a host of support vessels, uh, end quote. So he's talking about how the French fleet was actually very strong and they could have been used later on in the war if they had survived, quote, in allied service, these ships could have helped hem in the Italian Navy, so in the Mediterranean, and cut Axis supply lines to Africa. Against Germany, French squadrons could have hunted raiders, driving the Germans to the Arctic even before the entrance of the United States. He's talking about uh, the uh, U-boat the war in the Atlantic. And when war came to the Pacific, the fleet could have deployed in defense of French Indochina and other French possessions, as well as giving critical support to the Royal Navy. For their part, the Army and Air Force could have contributed to the war in the Mediterranean, the defense of Greece, and to resistance against Japanese encroachment in French Indochina, end quote. Now he goes on to talk about kind of some of the imperial advantages of the French, like, like advantages they could call on from their empire. They're saying that Farley believes that, quote, given the lukewarm Italian enthusiasm for the war in the first place, a concerted Franco-British offensive in the Mediterranean might have pushed Italy out of the conflict early. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because Italy only went down in 43 and then finally in 45, but uh, that'll come later. Uh, we'll explain that later. In the Pacific, Japan occupied French Indochina first in part and then wholly because of the collaboration of the Vichy regime. So, had the French government remained at war with Germany, authorities in Indochina would have had both the means and the, motiva and the motivation to resist these Japanese advances. Um, so, it's kind of like, if they had survived, they would not have only been able to help in Europe and, and withstand and kind of keep the Germans pinned in Europe, uh, which... You know, like, if the French army had survived, then the Battle of Britain would have never happened, and possibly the invasion of the Soviet Union would have never happened. Like, we don't know. But they also, he's making the point here, that they also could have fought and changed the outcome in uh, not only Europe, but also in the Mediterranean and the Pacific. However, there's always another side to the story. So, he says, on the other hand, this is super interesting, Quote, the biggest reason that many French decided to collaborate with the Nazis was fear of what Germany would otherwise do to occupied France. So, like, after the fall of France, there were a lot of French that collaborated, um, and a lot of people have asked why. And it's because, you know, if the enemy occupies half your country and then gives the other half to your own people, you're going to collaborate because you're, you're scared of what they're going to do. Like, how many French people in the South had family in the North and were just terrified of what would happen if the Germans found out they were resisting or if they were sheltering refugees or, or Jewish people or, you know, anything that the Wehrmacht or the German administration, the occupying government, considered, uh, you know, against their rules. He does say, without a Vichy France, the situation might have gone much worse for France, especially if the military continued an effective resistance from the empire. So that's what he's saying. He's like, even if France was lost and they continued to resist, people in France, especially in occupied France, like it's what we just talked about, could be punished for uh, the actions of the people that were resisting. 
Um, this is kind of an interesting point that I like. He says, uh, quote, at the extreme, persistence of French resistance in Africa might have forced Hitler to delay his invasion of the Soviet Union. Although even in this case, Germany lacked much in the ways of means to bring the British and French to heel. So we know that um, coming up in this series, there's going to be some conflict in North Africa. And that was between the British and later the Americans joined, uh, facing against Axis forces of Italians and uh, Germans. But it's important to remember that at this time, a huge chunk of North Africa, like Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, these were all French, uh, part of the French Empire. So the outcome of the North African campaign may have been very, very different. But I, but I feel like we're going a little off topic here. So I'm going to sum things up in a moment. Farley does close the article with the following quote. The refusal of the bulk of the French government to continue the war, if under disadvantageous, whew, disadvantageous circumstances, undoubtedly extended the suffering of the European continent, end quote. Uh, see, I don't think that's fair. They did continue the, the fight with the Free French and Charles de Gaulle, uh, who was a huge deal. Charles de Gaulle was a hero of World War One, and then ended up becoming the leader of France after the war. So if you've never heard that name, now you know who he was. Um, and the French had no way of knowing that this would engulf the entire continent. Uh, they were only looking at their own country and pretty much what amounted to a hopeless situation. Like I said, you had crippling political divisions. Um, you had the memory and the trauma and the scars of the First World War. You had the fact that Germany in some ways had some more advanced equipment. People always point to the tanks, but the French actually had decent tanks at this time. Uh, but it just, the, the Germans were so much more aggressive and politically and militarily united, um, if for no other reason than to exact revenge. And that was a big deal for them. Um, you know, the, the Germans were still angry about World War One, and Hitler made a point to actually sign the peace agreement, the armistice with the French government in the exact same railway car that the Germans had surrendered in World War One. Um, so, like, they had to actually haul it out of a museum uh, because he wanted to do that. Um, so, there's a famous photo of Hitler posing in front of the Eiffel Tower, and that was taken in June of 1940, and stuff like that. So, um, what else happened? I mean, the Maginot Line kind of achieved its purpose, but uh, the Germans struck so quickly and took so many risks by going through the Ardennes. And uh, just to recap, in case you don't know what the Ardennes is, the Ardennes is a very heavily forested region um, in northern France and eastern Belgium that was considered impassable to tanks. But uh, the Germans found a way. They made it through. So, you know, like, if you're going to invade France from Germany, well, you're not going to go through Switzerland because they're neutral and it's mountainous. It's like the most difficult country to operate in because it's all mountains. You're not going to go through the French border um, because of the Maginot Line. You're not going to go through Belgium because that's what they tried in World War I and it failed and the Allies were actually expecting that. So what they did is they went through, like, it was like literally the one place that, and they moved so quickly that they were around the French before they, they didn't have a, a, before they had a chance to really mount an effective resistance. So that's kind of like, uh, you know, your go-to, your, your bullet points there is like political division, scars of the First World War, 
the failure of the Maginot line um, and fear of uh, retribution, like even after France had collapsed, like fear of what the Germans would do if you resisted. Um, so stuff like that. Um, on the other side, like there were there were forces that continued to fight called the Free French uh, under Charles de Gaulle. So kind of I hope this explains maybe a little bit better why this happened. Uh, I hope that I've been effective in kind of proposing an alternate kind of explanation as to why France, uh, fell quickly other than oh yeah they were just a bunch of surrendering cowards <laughs> so yeah all right well that's going to do it for us here today at bite size history uh, we've talked about the fall of france and i also wanted to mention uh, even at the time a lot of the leaders in the british empire believed that if the Germans could not be stopped in the English Channel through naval means and in the air through the Royal Air Force, that a land invasion of the UK probably would not have been able to be resisted. Because like if the Germans blasted through France so quickly, which had way more, well, a much larger army than uh, the British, uh, you know, like the actual British Isles, uh, then what chance did they have? So it's kind of like... Britain survived because of their air force, their navy, and the empire. And these are all things that depend on control of the seas. Um, so because of that, you know, like their their army wasn't as extensive as the French army or the German army. But um, just wanted to mention that, you know, in case you're ever wondering why there's still this rift that be, that kind of exists sometimes between British people and French people. But anyway, in any case, this has been, uh, like I said, Bite Size History, uh, talking about the fall of France. We're going to resume our series on the basics of World War II coming up soon, where we're going to talk about the Balkans, North Africa, and the Soviet Union. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking about it. And uh, this has been Bite Size History. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Tell your friends. Uh, Follow me on Spotify, leave a review on iTunes, the whole works. Thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye.